Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm Stephen Buckley, and I'm going to read to you from Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and in the Pew Bibles, it's right at the front, page 3. So Genesis chapter 3, and we are going to begin at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realised they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbirth very severe. With painful labour you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. 
It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Gordon. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, We're in our second week in our series in Genesis, looking at the foundations of who we are and who God is. Uh, Now, every Sunday afternoon, a bunch of us from St. Stephen's, we head down to Chatswood, uh, and we talk to people on the street. Um, We ask them what they think about the world, uh, what they think about life, and we try and share Jesus with them. And by the way, uh, we'd love for more to join us if, if you're up for it. We'd love to have you. It's not as scary as you think. I always go into these conversations quite scared, uh, but I always come away realizing that people, particularly nowadays, are much more uh, willing to to chat than I think. And so one of the questions that I normally ask, I have a little survey that I get people to fill out. It's really just a way to start a conversation with people. But one of the questions that I ask on this survey is, how do you feel about the world right now? Uh, It's on a scale of one to 10. So, you know, one is, you know, I feel really badly about the world right now, and 10 is like, I feel like the world's going really well. And it's probably not surprising to you, but that out of all the people that we've talked to, no one has given me a score of more than five. We all know that the world is broken. We all know that the world's not right. Uh, Usually the next question I then ask is, well, what are some of the things in the world that's troubling you right now? And so people uh, mentioned things like the wars going on, uh, the atrocities in the, in the world. Um, some people talk about the environment being damaged. Sometimes they talk about things like domestic violence, uh, sexual abuse, uh, social injustice. And sadly, that's, that's the world that we all live in. As we turn to the book of Genesis, though, I want to point out that Genesis doesn't hide from this painful picture of the world. Genesis doesn't play down the brokenness and the hurt of our world. The story that Genesis tells, it actually describes all the worst bits of our world. There's, there's war, there's family conflict, there's mistreatment of women, there's murder. That's the story of the world that Genesis describes. It's not prescribing this. It's not saying that this is the way to live. No, Genesis is telling us a story, and that story doesn't play down 
the brokenness and the mess of our world. I think this is a bit of a challenge to myself. You know, as a Christian, sometimes I'm reluctant to talk about things like evil and sin and judgment because I know that people don't want to talk about that. But Genesis talks about that. God talks about that. So as a heads up, uh, we're actually going to be talking a lot about this over the next couple of weeks as we journey through Genesis chapters 1 to 11, and we need to. It's not pleasant to talk about these things, but we need to, because unless we see truly how messed up our world is, unless we see truly how corrupt the human race is, unless we see that, we won't truly appreciate what Jesus has done for us. Uh, So that's what's coming up in this series. But Genesis 3, our passage today... Which is the story about, you know, where did this mess all come from? You know, how did the world end up like this? That's really what Genesis 3 is about. I don't know about you, but it's a bit of a puzzling story, isn't it? Out of all the worst possible atrocities that you can think of, which are all there in the story of Genesis, why is there a story about eating the wrong piece of fruit here? What's it doing here? You know, if this is where it all came, all, all the mess came from, what's, you know, this story about eating the wrong piece of fruit doing here? If, if you're asking that question, I think it's an extremely valid question. But I, I think, again, you know, one of the tips of reading the Bible is when you have a weird thing that you're noticing in the Bible, actually it's a good tip to pay attention to more to that. And so as I said last week, we actually need to read Uh, to to listen carefully to what this story is saying, because this seemingly harmless story actually tells us so much about who we are as humans. And it's actually crucial to understanding not just the Christian worldview, but the Christian message, the gospel. Uh, So keep your Bibles open. Uh, We'll get into the story. Um, So we'll look at verses 1 to 5 first. So starting at verse 1, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Uh, we stop here, we're introduced here to a mysterious new character, a serpent. We're not told much about this uh, particular serpent, except that he was very crafty, and that he was an animal that God had made. Why did God make him? How did he become so crafty? We're not really told. Uh, The story doesn't really focus on that. Interesting, though, we are told that he's a creature that God has made, an animal. And so if you remember back to Genesis 1, we looked at last week, God had told Adam and Eve to have dominion over all the animals, which would have included this serpent too. Adam and Eve were supposed to rule even this serpent. But as we continue to read the next verses, that's not really what happens. You see, verses 1 to 5 show us how this serpent, which uh, later on in the Bible we're told is Satan, the devil, this serpent here actually manages instead to rule Adam and Eve, to rule the, uh, uh, the, the humans. And he does that by tempting them. And this temptation of his starts uh, with a question. Did God, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Seems like a harmless question, doesn't it? But what, what's going on is that the serpents, he's questioning God. He's questioning God and God's goodness and God's word. Uh, so back in Genesis 2, um, God says this to Adam. Uh, he says, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it from it, you will certainly die. I don't know about you, but this is actually a word of freedom and blessing. You are free to eat from any tree. 
God's not being super restrictive here. They could eat from any tree, just one, that they couldn't. So 99%, 99.99% of the trees they could eat from. See, God's commandment wasn't restrictive. It gave man and woman freedom to enjoy the blessings of his creation. But that little question that the serpent asked Eve, did God really say you can't eat from, that, from any tree? That little question, it plants a bit of a doubt in the mind. You know, maybe God's withholding something from me. Maybe God's word is really restrictive. Maybe God's denying me something good. As we think about, you know, when we're tempted to sin, it's often the first thing that happens, isn't it? We question God's commandment. We question his word. We question God's goodness, whether he really knows what's good for us, whether he's withholding, he's denying something good from us. We question God and his word. You know, did God really say, did God really say that? Did he really say that? Let's continue. Verse 2. Uh, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. At first glance here, it seems that Eve has done pretty well. In, you know, she's able to quote what God has said um, in answering the serpent. But did you notice that she adds a little bit there? See, God never said that they couldn't touch uh, the fruit. They just couldn't eat it. Uh, we should note that actually God gave Adam originally the commandment in, in chapter 2. Eve hadn't been created there. So it's actually Adam's responsibility to tell Eve what God had commanded. So this is not all on Eve. This is on Adam very much as, as well. We'll get more to that later. But the point is, they add to God's word, whether it was intentional or not. Um, one commentator I read says that this is the first instance of legalism, you know, legalism in the human race, the first instance of legalism, you know, adding extra man-made rules on top of God's own rules, God's word. That's legalism. And legalism, whether it's done intentionally or not, here it doesn't help the humans very much. Uh, so we keep reading verse 4. You will not certainly die, the serpent said. It's a blatant lie. He, he now lies outright. He contradicts outright what God has said. Uh, Jesus later on in John 8 calls the serpent, uh, calls the devil the father of lies. So every time there's a temptation from the, from, from the devil, from the serpent here, there's always a lie. Same when we're tempted by the devil too. And this lie that the serpent tells here to Eve, it seems awfully close to the truth. So look at verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. It's actually kind of true. God does know that. And so if you look to the end of the story in verse 22, um, it says that man, God says that man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. See, on paper, it's true. God does know that, that they will be like God, knowing good and evil. And that's what make, makes the lie so hard to resist. It's true on paper, what the serpent is saying. It seems true on paper. But it actually deceives Eve into thinking again that God is denying something from them, that God's, God's holding back. And if you already have a legalistic mindset, when you're, adding, when you're already adding extra moral fences around God's word, it's not hard to start thinking that God is, holding, is, is too restrictive, that he's withholding something from you. He's denying you something good. But have you seen, though, 
Have you seen just how much is going on? Even before you know, anything's committed, any, before the transgression, have you seen how much is actually going on at the heart level, inside? They're questioning God, questioning the goodness of His Word, questioning His own character, which then sets you up to believe the devil's lies, lies which seem often true on paper. And this all happens before any action takes place, before the actual transgression. We'll look at the transgression now. Verses 6 to 8. Uh, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. You notice all the action words. She saw, she took, she ate, and then she gave. And then Adam, he ate. Again, we need to point out that Adam, he's, he's actually been here the whole time, we're told. He's actually been here the whole time, uh, but he does nothing. He's just silent. He does nothing except eat. That's the only action word that's given to him. But this moment of transgression, this moment, this turning point for humanity, the moment it sort of all goes wrong, it's so much more than just simply doing the wrong thing, doing the wrong action, eating from the wrong tree. See, in verse 6, it says that Eve, she sees that the, the fruit is good. It was pleasing to her eyes, desirable, good for gaining wisdom. I don't know if you've thought much about the knowledge of good and evil, which has sort of been the phrase being used, knowing good and evil. It's not actually, it's not that they didn't know what good and evil was, Adam and Eve. They already had this intellectual knowledge, this awareness they already knew where the moral line was. It was God's commandment. They already knew that. See, to actually know good and evil here, it's, it's something else. It's actually deciding for ourselves what is good and what is evil. That's what's going on here. They're saying, no, even though God has said that it's not good to eat from this fruit, we're saying that it's good. We want to define what is right and wrong, not God. We want to set the moral boundaries. We make the rules, not God. We rule this place, not God. That's what's really going on. See, sin, it's much more than just doing the wrong thing, eating from the wrong tree, the wrong fruit. It's a hard issue. It's saying to God, no, we don't need you, God. We don't want you. We don't want your, your word. We don't want your rule. We don't want your ways to live. We want to rule this place. We want to rule ourselves, not you. We want to decide what's right and wrong. We don't want you as king here. Sin, it's a hard issue. It's between us and God. It's, it's actually treason. It's rebellion against the king, the, the creator, the ruler of the universe. It's a vertical thing first. That's what Genesis 3 is telling us. It's an offense in the vertical direction towards God. Uh, we'll see next week in the next chapter how the vertical affects the horizontal. Our rejection of God actually leads us to hurting each other in the worst possible ways. But sin, first and foremost, it's a rebellion in our hearts against God. And straight away, as the story continues, it leads to shame and hiding. In verse 7, the man and woman, they realize that they're naked, but that they'd always actually been naked and felt no shame. But after they've committed this transgression, they feel the shame. There's a lack of trust. There's lack of vulnerability between them. You know, they, they feel exposed. They want to cover up. And so they also hide from God too. But what's a little bit remarkable is that it's God who initiates, God who calls them. So verse 9, 
Uh, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? He's like, it's like a parent trying to talk. You're trying to initiate, trying to keep the relationship going, even though he knows that the relationship's been damaged. But what happens as we, as we read is the blame game. That's what happens next. The man blames the woman. The woman you put here with me, God. She gave me some and I ate. Uh, the woman blames the serpent and the serpent has no one else to blame. And then what follows is that the story describes the various curses that God gives in judgment. So the, the serpent must crawl and eat dust in verse 14. The woman will have pain in childbirth in verse 16. There'll be pain and hurt between men and women, especially in marriage. Work will be hard for all. Getting food on the, on the table, on the plate will be hard. It will be painful. And finally, at the end of verse 19, for dust you are, and to dust you will return, God says. Death, we will all die. Death is the final curse and judgment for human rebellion. See, this is all describing you know, all the facets of our broken world that we all know. All these things, death, frustration at work, marriage and relationship breakdowns, we all know, we, you know, we all know that they're part of our broken world that we live in. We, we've all been affected by these things in various ways. But what Genesis is saying, what Genesis 3 is saying is that all of this happened because of human sin, because humanity rejected God as a ruler and wanted to rule ourselves without him. The world was broken by us. It was broken by our rejection of God, the God who made us and made the world. And yet this is not a story without some hope. Uh, there are some glimpses of hope here. Uh, so if you look at verses 20 and 21. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. It's a small little gesture. It's a small gesture from God to say that even though humans have broken the relationship, even though they, they don't want him in our lives, God still wants to be involved in their life. God still wants to be involved in the human story. He's not abandoning them completely. And actually, you could say that God's already showing a lot of mercy in this story. See, Adam and Eve, they don't die straight away, even though that's what God had said would happen in chapter 2. He said that on the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But they don't. God spares them. We see here glimpses of God's grace. But the big one is actually in verse 15. Uh, so uh, God gives a prophecy against the serpent in verse 15 he says i will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers he will crush your head and you will strike his heel this prophesies a coming one a human being to come an offspring of the woman who will come and crush the serpent's head who would defeat the devil but in doing so he will be hurt his his heel will be stung and so i actually want now all of us to turn to luke chapter 3 the end of Luke chapter 3, it's on page 1029 in our church Bible. I'll give you a moment to turn there. 1029, sorry. Luke chapter 3, 1029. Uh, so we're given this prophecy about an offspring of Eve. Sorry, I'm still turning there. Um, Luke chapter 3, uh, We're given this prophecy about an offspring of Eve, a human being to come who will defeat the devil. And as you read on from Genesis 3, that's sort of in the back of our minds. Who is this person who will come and defeat the devil? 
And the Old Testament is filled with stories of different characters, different heroes. Some look more promising than others, but all ultimately fail, just like, you know, Pippi's spotlight. They all fail to be this serpent crusher until the New Testament. And we'll look at Luke chapters 3 and 4. Um, I won't read it out, but I'll just walk you through. If you look at Luke chapter 3, verse 23, we get this genealogy of Jesus. It traces his ancestry all the way back. And if you follow all the names of this genealogy, what's the name, the, last, the second last name? It takes us all the way back to Adam. Jesus is the son of God, but he's also the son of Adam. And then the very next verse in chapter 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. What follows is a story about the only man ever, the only human who stood against the temptation of the devil, against the lies, the questions of the evil one, and yet remained sinless. He didn't succumb to sin. He didn't disobey God. He didn't rebel against God's rule. Jesus was tempted by the devil, just like we all have been. But unlike us, he remained sinless. He committed no wrong. And yet, the gospel story says that this sinless man, this man who lived perfectly under God, willingly gave himself up to die on a cross, on a tree for sinners like me and like you. See, this promise, this prophecy in Genesis 3.15, it's fulfilled by Jesus. It's talking about Jesus the serpent crusher who defeats the devil at the cross, but it comes at the cost of his own life. He's bitten on the heel as he crushes the serpent's head. Now Colossians 2, 13 to 15 puts it like this. He says, Jesus, uh, he forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. It continues, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he's referring to Satan and his force of evil spirits, but Jesus, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over them by the cross. The gospel of Jesus is a message that Satan has been defeated, our great enemy. We're no longer enslaved to him and to sin. We can be forgiven by God. We can be free to live the life that he's made us to live in relationship with him, under him. So we need to see the glimpses of hope that are here even in Genesis 3, and how that is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. God doesn't abandon us, even though we abandoned him. We need to see that. Yet I don't, I don't want to major too much on it, because I don't think the passage does. You see, we need to feel the weight of our own sin in order to fully appreciate this, in order to fully appreciate the gospel. We can't downplay the seriousness of sin. So in um, 1910... Times newspaper in London, uh, in the UK, sorry, asked uh, this question, uh, what is wrong with the world? Asked this question, what's wrong with the world? And so many people wrote uh, different essays and, and sent them in, uh, talking about, you know, lots of things, politics, social theories, all that kind of stuff. Uh, one English author called G.K. Chesterton wrote back. He sent his essay in. It was very brief. Uh, what's wrong with the world? G.K. Chesterton wrote two words, I am, full stop, I am. See, when we think about the mess of our world, it's really easy, isn't it? Just like Pippi was saying. It's really easy to play, the, to, to play the blame game. You know, at least I'm not like that person. At least I haven't done that. But the point of Genesis 3, the point of this passage today is that we actually need to look at ourselves. 
You need to look at yourself. I need to look at myself. I'm a sinner. I rejected God. I rebelled against Him. And you're a sinner. You rejected God. You rebelled against Him. Unless you see how serious your sin is, unless you own that and come before God, you won't fully appreciate what God has done for you in His Son, Jesus. Let's pray. Our Holy God and Heavenly Father, it's so easy, isn't it, to look at others, anyone but ourselves, to blame others like our ancestors did in this story. Lord, show us, continue to show us how we're like sheep who went astray, how we didn't want you to rule us, how we wanted to decide what was right and wrong without you. Forgive us, Lord, by the blood of your Son, Jesus, the perfect one who died in our place. We pray this in his name. Amen.